Welcome to the Directors UK podcast. We're the professional association for UK film and TV directors. No matter the format, no matter the genre, our featured directors share their approach to the craft. We hope you enjoy. Hello, Todd. Such a Hi, privilege. Hello. Such a privilege oh, to talk to you. Very so exciting. <laughs> um, uh, the 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 film was um was beautiful and brilliant and um has really stayed with me and uh yeah uh, really um just keep mulling it over in my mind and um I've sort of got lots of specific questions and also sort of lots of general questions as well that um that I've been thinking about um and sort of trying to structure it into some beginning <laughs> maybe just to think about uh yeah I'm interested in when you receive a script if straight away you feel like your surety of things um do you feel straight away when you read something that you can visualize it or is it different with different scripts and different decisions um yeah anything yeah process absolutely um because I I, I, be, I began my career <clears throat> writing and developing my own material, and and um, and I think for quite a while that's how uh, what people considered me as a director and how I worked. Um, and it's been since well, it's you know it's been so I'm often asked how different it is to adapt a script that I did not write and how different a process that, that, that is. And I, I, I don't remember if you, you wrote your, you writ, yeah. you Yeah. I, I write and I write and direct some of the, my films I've written and directed and I have directed some television, which I didn't write. But you didn't write. So you've done both as well. Yeah. yeah. And, and of course I, I bet for every director, that's a unique um, distinction um, I mean, some of some of it is is simply a, a question of how much time yeah. one spent, right? When you're writing and developing and researching a project, it's it's a it's a long process before you're ever at the point of financing it and trying to get it visual, made it make make it real. And so and so in that process of writing and researching, you you are of course, or I am, and I'm I, I assume this would be the, the case for you and other directors who do so visualizing it and seeing it in your head and and having or having specific references that are inspiring it or historical material that's inspiring it um and and so that process is of course quite uh different when you're when somebody else has done all of that uh preliminary work and spent all of that time in advance of you even seeing it uh that changed for me when very dear friends of mine, Elizabeth Carlson and Stephen Willie, who are English producers, sent me the script for Carol, with the film that would become Carol. It was might have been called The Price of Salt initially based on Patricia Highsmith's novel. And that was 2015. And Liz asked my producer, my career-long producer, Christine Vashon, and, and we've known Liz and Stephen forever and ever, and they're very, very dear friends. Um, would Todd consider doing a, 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 another person's script? And and I had just adapted 
uh, right before that, Mildred Pierce um, from the, the James M. Kane novel with John Raymond, who we were just talking about, Portland-based writer, dear friend, uh, screenwriter with Kelly Reichert. And um, that was a very interesting experience because it was we were being very loyal to the, the the original novel to Mildred Pierce and its remarkable distinctions from the Michael Curtiz, Joan Crawford film that we all know so well. Um, and its relevance, I felt at the time to the what was just happening globally with the recession and the economic crisis we were all facing because it really was a, a novel about the depression years. And uh, that was just such a, and, and it was my first episodic, uh, my, my experience with episodic uh, drama and uh, five part limited series for HBO. Um, but that from there to Carol felt not like an, a, a strange step to take. And um, it opened up a way of working that all of a sudden, you know, uh, created all kinds of opportunities for me. Um, uh, I think I'd al already felt that the scripts I wrote myself were translations of existing, you know, cultural histories and sometimes the stories of specific artists like Bob Dylan or the glam rock artists of the 70s in my film Velvet Goldmine or or a kind of evocation of the melodramas of Douglas Sirk from the 1950s in, in um, Far From Heaven. Uh, so in a way, I already felt like I was calling from existing films, languages, histories, narratives, you know, in, in what inspired me as a filmmaker and using that as the writing process and the, re the research process. So really, when I when I when I find a script and when scripts become um, a, of interest to me, and this was absolutely true for May, December and how it came to me and when um, it triggers something that starts to, um, you know, initiate, I think a, a series of thinking and, and a series of thoughts and a process uh, that is uh, that gestates and starts to want to do the same things sort of in reverse and start to look back at relevant films, ideas, stories that feel um, like they're going to generate something very specific visually and, and cinematically in, in the, in the script that I received. And so to take this all back to where your question started, uh, Natalie Portman sent me the script to May, December. And, uh, and it was different, different from the a previous script that I had, uh, that I had made into a film Wonderstruck, um, which was extremely visually and stylistically described in the language on the page by Brian Selznick, who adapted it from his novel. This original script by Sammy Birch, this really uh, incredibly impressive, um, uh, confident writer, um, described a whole story set back from the initiating point of a tabloid sort of uh, crisis from 20 plus years in the past uh, and didn't really give it a stylistic or visual sort of um, framework 
in what she had written on the page. But what she did was remarkable. And it set up this sort of incredible space where you, the reader, are basically put into a position of interpreting what you're reading and 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 the characters who are being presented to you through the guise of the Natalie Portman character, the actor who comes to this town to do research on her subject, uh, Gracie, played by Julianne Moore. And and what you what it almost becomes initially a sort of investigative journalist sort of structure, the 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 the, the script until you start to realize that you really are not able to rely on um this narrator um in in uh, Elizabeth Barry Natalie's character and a very strange um paralleling goes starts to go on between these two complex and ultimately quite disturbing female characters or characters who raise disturbing questions about their motivations and the choices that they both made in their lives. I found how she did that so stimulating and so decisive and so um, evocative. And it, and it, it put the reader into a, into a state really of some sort of thrilling uncertainty about where this was going to go. And I love that about the script. And did you did you find that where there were some scenes that just popped out at you and you just thought, I just can really see how I'm going to direct that scene? And so that in a way those became the sort of bits that made you feel confident that you knew kind of what it was. Um and connected with that. Um yeah. I've read lots about uh in interviews you you've you've sort of talked about what films you reference and what films you were thinking about as inspiration and and the whole thing of um tone I think is yeah. so interesting and I find it's the thing that I kind of grapple with the most and I feel like when I'm writing I, or responding to a script it's sort of like it it comes there's a sort of sharpness and suddenly I think oh it's it's this I can sort of imagine this bit a bit like this and then I get confused and I'm like well that bit now doesn't kind of match with that and then like what is the whole and I wondered because your films are so have such um sort of specific um and vivid and cool interesting bold they're so tonally that are you does it come very easily to you and you are you very sure and clear or do you also go through a process where you are kind of like imagining that the film's kind of morphing into different things and then you're kind of like honing in on something? You know, as as you pose those questions that way as a director who's gone through it yourself, it's a bit of it's a bit of it all. You know, it, it, I understand I uh, there are there are certainly places moments where particularly, and I'm sure you felt this as well, when you're writing it, you feel something very specific, even if it's not, even if it's like an image or a mood or a sort of almost series of colors, an atmosphere or a temperature, you know, I felt this absolutely with certain films where a kind of visual splendor or richness or something very specific uh, uh, seemed to drive the creative, you know, pulley that sort of 
starts to organize the process that takes you forward. But there's something, it's like a dream. It's like some fever dream. Yeah, and I sometimes feel like I have it. And then it's yeah. like in the perif- my peripheral vision and I look at it and then it kind of disappears it's gone. a bit. <laughs> right, yeah, right. and it's like I can't catch onto it. And and then I gradually, I guess, become more confident and only when it's finished is it kind of there and you can hold on to it. Yeah, Isn't I, that the, I, I don't you, I sort of feel like that's exactly it, that, that we're, we're in this virtual and material shuffle in conjuring something that is yet to be as a film as filmmakers as directors and that it's a communal sense of the unknown that you have to lead as the director in some sense and you you are having to kind of keep touchstoning your way through that process so that you can give the people around you all, all of the material and support and specificity possible to do so. Now, I, every film, I guess, has been, is such a different, you know, uh, dream, fever dream, I guess, in a way, or a series of specific references or or less specific references that that collect. And that becomes an, an, an exciting way for me to touch back to that place that stays visible i guess as i as i proceed this is, sounds so vague but uh when you're speaking so generally about no i love that i think it is i think it is a vagueness though and i think yeah something about watching a finished product that's brilliant that's so um intimidating um because you just you know i'm writing at the moment and then i watch your film and i'm like oh, well, that's it. You know, I can't be bothered. <laughs> I don't know what it is. But then I think, well, maybe, maybe Todd also went through his own process and it didn't, you know, not every day on every page, on every, in every moment, especially at the beginning, do you feel so confident? And also what I thought was really interesting was you saying you, you're making this thing and you don't really know what it is yet. Yes. To degree, yes. But yeah. you're making a lot of decisions, hopefully good decisions. And then you're having to uh, lead all these people and it made me think one of my questions are was are your actors ever nervous or doubtful I sort of imagine you're once you're as established as you are that people are very confident in you but I guess there's always that moment where you the actors are relying on you in a way to have a very clear vision and for you to support them while they are very exposed in a way and yeah. I don't know made me think of that but I find myself going it's brilliant and it's perfect. <laughs> I was thinking, well, I don't want to say, but I'm also in the same boat, you know, like, I don't know. I'm not hundred percent sure. I mean, I think the director by necessity almost has to be the, the best actor on set. Yeah. <laughs> because you're conveying a sense of foundation, a stability that gives people a place to stand, but also a place for them to, as you say, as we know, be unsure. Yeah. And and so we're all sharing and sort of swapping uh, a risk, various risks that we're all taking. And, and really, it's what's the point of doing it if there's not risk and that you really are aware that you're experimenting and you don't you don't really know what it's going to be ultimately until you're looking at cuts of your film and showing it to people and starting to 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 become 
once again, outside it looking in, but you've had to go completely inside it yeah. and separate all of its elements and live in each, all and all of its elements and recreate them and recombine them and repeat them and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and so I always also find that that for me requires this total, almost blind immersion in the present that I'm yeah. in. A sort of and blind so, faith, isn't it, that it's going to come out well. And that I can't, like other directors can, uh, watch. I really can't watch daily is what I'm sure. No, I, I was just about to ask you exactly that is what I was thinking about it. I, I don't really like watching them. And when I do watch them, I kind of hate them. And then I start doing weird things where I start to try and edit them and put on <laughs> sound yeah. and things because they're so, like, not proper you they're, know they're not well, they're fixed they're fixed yeah. in a place where i feel i want to remain liquid yeah and fix it yet because yeah then i will deal with it i mean it doesn't mean yeah. i'm not checking it i'm not talking no. to colleagues my editor my dp yeah. everybody yeah. Around who i'm talking to but i'm kind of like half an eye yes it's closed because yeah. i want to keep my you know my full living breathing self uh, attached Maybe. to happening on on set and what you said about the fever dream in a way like the um the dreaminess of the experience goes if it becomes sort of too fixed yes way, exactly. when you're oh when no you're, that's so yeah. yeah exactly um now this this one just to you know maybe for people listening we can i can start being more specific about this particular thing because you asked a question that what that was really specific and maybe something you had you had read in something I'd said about May, December that started a kind of visualization of the film in a very specific way. I'm not sure if it's, it's what you're referring to, but yes, when I read that script, the scene of uh, toward the end of the film of Natalie Portman's um, letter, the letter of Gracie's, she um, inhabits finally in her kind of apotheosis in the process of her transformation into this woman uh, I read that scene and it immediately reminded me of a scene from Bergman's film Winter Light that I saw first in high school. And I and there's a a, a scene with Ingrid Thulin delivering a letter in the film to the priest, the central character of the film, an unrequited love letter. And the film, the, the, the scene, the letter is is performed in a static symmetrical, gorgeously lit Sven Nikvist shot with, with Ingrid Thulin's direct address to the lens of the camera. I think it's the only time in that film that that happens. And it is, I remember just being so astonished by it as a, as a kid. And I, I got into this phase of being very interested in, in, in Bergman at that time. Uh, and I read this script and I said, I I have this, this scene screams to be shot in that way. And I, I have to do this movie if only to just shoot that scene that way. Of course, that's taking a huge leap of faith in so many things. The, 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 the most fundamental is the performance because that doesn't work unless it's Ingrid Thulin in winter light or Liv Ullman and Bibby Anderson in Persona, or where you let those frames hold and you have the sort of brazen, uh, almost absurd faith that 
audiences are going to latch on to shots that don't do the work for you and over uh, editorialize your experience or your emotional state, but let you sort of hold in suspense and watch the actors inhabit the space. So I ultimately, uh, yes, I started to organize the visual language of almost reverse engineer it around that idea and the so many of these scenes which take place in mirrors uh, around the idea of direct address to the lens, which in fact the letter shot might be the one, the letter scene, the final scene that we were talking, a late scene we're talking about, maybe one that isn't as fully explicated as a mirror that she's speaking to. It's sort of a cosmic direct address to the lens. But in all the others preceding scenes, they are very much set in mirrors and they're very much about observing this process of uh, initially Elizabeth observing Gracie and studying Gracie and trying to uh, learn her, learn how to portray her in a film, but also Gracie observing uh, Elizabeth and us being in that centrifugal place of their gaze and at themselves in the mirror so that we're watching this network of gazes unfold and it just felt like this film needs that austerity in a way and that simplicity and that slight sense of that observational space but it also needed other things to make that that space or frame that space in a way that let the audience know in on it and not, I guess, I mean, only Bergman can do that with such utter seriousness. This had a humor and an acerbic sort of wit and commentary going on on the page of the script that was unnerving and mysterious and relieving at times and, and, and fascinating, and you didn't really know how to, tr you were trust. you were trying to navigate your own responses to the characters and their very, um, you know, um, limited sense of being able to see themselves, willingness or to see themselves. There's a way, like, you feel like you're trying to, she's trying to get to the bottom, the bottom of um, things. And we're trying to get to the bottom, like, we're trying to find the yeah. truth. Yeah, but yeah. I thought it was really interesting because um, it feels like there is no truth to be had in a way, or if because in a way the characters themselves don't know what their truth is, or they're in so in denial, or it's so distorted, or what what was your thinking around that of you know the the truth uh, or what the characters were really thinking. Or didn't you, did you know, or did the actors know, or I guess they're always trying to be their best. We're always trying to be, we always think we're doing our best, don't we? <laughs> Even think, when we're doing we all. I think we all had a healthy um, critical distance from the characters. Yeah. And a slight amusement mm -hmm. in some of the cliches of actor speak and of kind of filmmaking this yeah. sense of being seen and known and just wanting everything to be true and to find that place yeah. 
and what was so um, intrinsic to the script is that it, it 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 keeps very coherently playing out these themes that are in sort of circles, and they don't have they don't have a landing point. Yeah, and and that's how the film ends as a series of takes. Yeah. Uh, finally, in the film itself, it's being finally made. You know. Yeah. And that cyclical sense of us never knowing how to land, I think, is really what. And and certainly, look, I I read it and I thought, um, this is about the human inability to to look at ourselves and to really and all the ways we tell stories about who we are, and the way we perform those stories to ourselves and to each other to keep to keep believing in it's yeah. basically to survive life, yeah. which is hard. And, and it's only when life gets just too hard or relationships just cross that point of not being functioning, you know, yeah. that you finally have to go, wait a minute, wait a minute. I can't keep believing in these things that I've been telling myself and I need to do something very difficult, which is to sleep yeah. beyond. So, so that's that you feel a bit with Joe that he, yeah. He, he stops believing in the narrative. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, I feel like I, I'm very sort of interested in like the narrative of our lives and the narrative we tell each other and tell ourselves. And when the narrative of our lives disappoints us, how do we deal with it? That and yeah, it, it that is sort of uh, Joe's journey, isn't it? He 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 feels like the only one that grows really or becomes more in tune it becomes more enlightened through the process yeah. of the story. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that. And that was what motivated Sammy to write, to structure the, really to, to take on this Mary Kay Letourneau sort of, you know, existing bit of cultural um, uh, tabloid history and reconceive it. But she thought of, it was all reconstrued around the idea of that couple being left alone once their kids leave the house and that point at which they have to really look at each other and what the man in the center of that or the in the sort of apex of that um, seduction at such a young age and the decisions that were sort of made that he sort of felt he was making for himself. Yeah. But, um, that's what's so clever. It's so subtle in a way. Like, yeah, it sort of creeps up on you that it's that it's Joe's story. And there's that scene when he talks to his dad and he says, "Empty nest now." And it's just a tiny little scene, and you sort of think it's not that important, but it just kind of like stays there in the in the back of your head. And yeah, yeah it's really it's really clever the way it just all creeps up on you, and it's it sort of has lots of. I find it really hard to create that when you're writing as well. Like it's got some look, it's got really good gaps and spaces where you yeah. have to kind of fill things in. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, uh, it's so difficult to create that, and so clever, I think, but so subtle that you don't even notice it. You know, no one would notice it, I don't think. But it's it's so. You know, I was aware from the beginning that because I made I've, I've done many films that are about women and domestic lives and romantic stories and all of, you know, melodrama. And, and this, I, I was very, very much aware that this is about women who are 
sort of predatory and who are who who are driving the narrative machine, the story forward by pursuing their own desires. And so, and that's so different from the kinds of stories that I have told about women's lives in other films. And I don't think it's the norm. I think it's more the exception. And 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 so uh and there's such a sort of industriousness about the two women in their competition with each other and in this sort of dance around each other, that it fills up all, all of this space in a way. And it's only as the film starts to proceed in the third act, kind the you know, it kind of opens yeah. a space for Joe to kind of very delicately enter because it's in the in, it's in between what's being said and what's being attempted, what's what Elizabeth is trying to achieve as an actor, and and uh, it's in between. It's what they're not saying or not saying about each other that is that seems to be the most uh, meaningful and ultimately reliable, and that Joe is is ultimately in that place of of not knowing. Yeah. And that's and that's ultimately where there is some hope, I think. And and uh, but it, once again, it um, I knew in Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman that I would be getting performances that would meet the task of this very careful dance of strengths around these two women. What I didn't know, and and I, and it's almost now after having found Charles Melton and that. And and that it's amazing, yeah. Really amazing. And 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 it's almost you almost shudder to think uh what a burden he carried as an actor to make that the third act of this film change and change its tenor and open up these questions and but do it with such delicacy and um innocence and and sense of kind of real time like it's happening right in front of you yes. that progression you know so that that became another um part of that you know that the whole film was made very quickly and and so there was an energy to kind of make a lot of decisions very quickly and 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 we shot the movie in a in a uh, incredibly short like 23 day schedule i can't even wow. remember when i shot a film that fast so all these sort of choices about the way it would be shot and the so many scenes and single shots and um uh had to be kind of I just had to sort of make those choices and take that sort of leap of faith um without really having other options. We didn't really have time to shoot it to to shoot other coverage or or have different ways of sh cutting scenes or other or things Is to that cut not away. normal for you it was that different to normal it was it was it was not it was it was i think more exposed because of the style that I was imagining, which was so restrained and and sort of minimalist uh, other films um I had, it wasn't as, I still had very, I think I had pretty specific ways I imagined the scenes would be shot and covered, but they just inherently had more coverage okay. in them. Yeah. It was the style that, yes. that that allowed for that. And so there were, 
you could address problems in the cut because there was just more material to manipulate and play with and go, okay, that scene may not be working this way or that scene may not be working at all. Let's lose it. Let's see what happens here. Let's do this, this, this. And of course that happens to different degrees in different films. Um, with this film, we really didn't have any other way to cut it or shoot. Or, and so it was just, and, and, um, but the music was also a factor in the tonal sort of framework of the film that I, again, I'd never done, I'd never really worked in this. It was a combination of this very austere and kind of restrained, very restrained visual style. And then this very aggressive music. Did, uh, um, when you made, I read lots about the choice, the music choice and I, and I think it's uh, brilliant and so interesting that you played the music on, while you were shooting that's right isn't it and when you made the decision to stick with this music was was it um with people around you going oh that's a really good idea were people going are you sure I mean that you know with it because it's quite like it's unusual isn't it it is I don't think anyone I mean I didn't make I I was thinking oh this is just an example of the kind of score that I want to create for the movie with my composer and I, Marcelo Zarvas, who I worked with on Dark Waters and loved so much working with. He's so brilliant. At the very beginning in pre-production, the reason I, well, I heard, I watched the film The Go-Between, uh, which I had not seen since I was a kid when it first came out. And it's not circular. It's not a film that you see much, even though it's a very uh, well reputed, you know, beautifully regard, highly regarded uh, Oscar nominated, Best Picture nominated, Palme d'Or winning, you know, Joseph Losey film with Julie Christie and Ellen Bates for 1971. Harold Pinter wrote the script. It's just like a film that's surprisingly um, obscure in the United States. Uh, I heard that score and I and I just was like, and it's also not like no Michelle Legrand score that I know. It's not like any Joseph Losey score from his other films that I know it's so singular it made such a um but it sets the kind of questioning of the viewer in motion right away and you find yourself going wait a minute well, what is this about this movie like you know analyzing every inch of the frame of the shots to try to justify what the music is foretelling and that I was like, that is so fucking cool. Sorry. I don't know if I can say that. That is so exciting <laughs> and, and thrilling and, and stimulating in a way that was like, you know. Was that a big breakthrough moment in your like prep when you heard the music and you thought, did that like really click and move things in a new direction? It, I, 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 I was putting together my image book drawing from, you know, which combines references to the films I'm looking at and the... Is that like, um, like uh, images, like uh, like stills from films or photographs or lots of yeah. visual stuff in a kind of folder? It's literally a book. Yeah. It's like, this is my image book okay. from December. And it just puts together images yeah. from, from movies and from location stills. Uh, that, that that I've always done basically as a a, a, a non-verbal communication to my 
DP initially, right? That it's like, this is the visual thing I'm thinking about. And excuse me. And then of course, share with relevant departments because of the speed and the sort of velocity of this production. I was like, I'm going to share this with everybody right away. And when I put together the image book and now I do it on, you know, digitally, I used to do it all with cutting and pasting and, you know, all that. Um, I, I just saw around the same time I was watching these films. I watched this, the go between on Turner classic movies in America. And I just got the score, a, a link to the score and said, guys, look at these images. I just started to look at the, the, the progression of images, which is sort of like a, a linear progression of the film itself or how I imagine it with the music. And all of a sudden they ignited each other, the, the, the stillness and the kind of rigidity and the simplicity of the images with the thunderousness of the music felt like, yes, this is the discursive conflict that I, I want an audience to be excited by when they watch the film and not be intimidated by not be, not feel, um, you know, not be minimized by, or, 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 you know, um, I, I don't know. I wanted them to feel a, a kind of thrill. Yeah. It's a play, playfulness as well. Too, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. But there's, because those things are kind of in, they're, they're in combustion with each other in a way. Yeah. And you're in the middle and you got to yeah. like go, wait, wait, wait. So, so that just felt exciting. But, but again, I, I, so on the plane to Savannah, where we ended up deciding to shoot the movie when, you know, these things, and I know, you know, this and every director who's hit obstacles and had to make a change of decision about place or actor or, you know, location or any number of things that come up what you hope is those is that those accidents actually start leading you into a path of even greater um results you know um than 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 your hard sort of rigid you know <laughs> precious yeah. ideas uh yeah. maybe would have led you and then so there's that that once again what we were sort of talking about the combination of being very you know um, trying to bear down on and and hold on yeah. to your ideas, but also allowing that thing that happens that you can't control. Yeah. Uh, and that and that compendium of the two. Because yeah. actually, it's funny, isn't it? Because, like you say, you're trying to get it to be um, to be something you can hold on to, but at the same time, you're trying to keep it fluid. And also, there's a fear that every time you lock something down, like an actor or a costume or a location, then it's like. I don't know. It's all kind of, <laughs> it's also like, well, is that the right decision? You know, there's, a, there's also a scariness of making it, of making it like concrete. There, there is, I mean, there really is. And and the, the weird thing about this production is it was also, I think um, a lot of accidents, right. a lot of new relationships formed for me in the I, my first time working with Sam Lysenko, the production designer, and he and I went to Savannah, Georgia, when we realized we couldn't shoot the film in Camden, Maine, where it was originally set because of the season when Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman were available. We couldn't possibly shoot the East Coast for May, which had to be the the, the graduation month for the for yeah. the uh, 
kids. Uh, and we went to Savannah. We were like, wow, this is this has more layers and more. And the weird, you know, humidity lodge, the precipitation within the window panes of the sliding yeah. glass doors of the location of the house were the sort of... Was it hard to find that house? That house? It's, um, it's really incredible. We, again, it was like, we went off the beaten path. We went, we we reverted from the, the list of locations that the Savannah Film Commission had given us to to look. And we were like, wait a minute, turn there. Wait, wait, oh, oh, what's around there? Take that street. And we just found it ourselves. And we stuck a note on the door and said, we're, ma- we're maybe shooting a film in town and we wanted to see, you know if we could see your house. You didn't know if the person would respond. We picked other houses. Only that guy responded that night. We went to see that house that next day and we were like, okay, this is, this is crazy. And is it what you had in your, in your mind's eye, that, that kind of a house or was it different and you saw it or? It was both. It was both. We are, when we saw it from the outside, we were like, oh, wow. What does it look like inside? Then we got to see it inside. And, And so it started to fill in the knowns and the unknowns became rooted and and also i think it's that sense of discovery again with a person who you're beginning a relationship with that new energy that 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 sense of of you know possibility that you're kind of rewriting for yourself each time you make a movie but that becomes even more refreshed maybe when you have to put in a certain kind of energy and commitment to a new relationship. And then that became true with April Napier, the costume designer that became true with ultimately Christopher Blavel, who shot the film when I thought Ed Lockman would be shooting it, who I've been working yeah. with since 2002. Yeah, but he so I, noticed, I noticed that. Yeah. And so again, it was a new person, a new person. Yeah. It was like a, a, an extraordinary line producer who we found from New York who, it's just the hardest, most thankless job in the yeah. world. And it's very hard for directors and line producers to feel comfortable. <laughs> with each other. It's tough, you know, and this guy, Jonathan Montepar brought that to it. Um, so it was just, it was all of that kind of, Oh, we have to figure this out in this very finite amount of time. What it produced was such a sense of, um, pleasure even in knowing that we were doing risky things and there was no other way to shoot it and no other way to and seriously i i was making it and i was thinking i'm having too much fun this is not not right it's not this is not going to make a good film (laughs) and i sort of thought and but i really truly felt at least at that moment easy to say then i don't care i don't care Uh, this is really meaningful for me right now in my life and for and I knew that everybody around me was feeling the same way and so we were doing something together in the moment in a very <laughs> prescribed piece of time and place I, and I think so it's you just do it you yeah. just what you say about having too much fun because sometimes when it feels like it's a fun day you want the fun days but when they're fun you do have a sort of suspicious feeling, but I think um, it's also a feeling like, um, really, it's like an indulgence, isn't it? You feel like, well, I'm—is it self-indulgent because I'm enjoying it? But really, I think that's such an important part of it. And sometimes, the fact that it, you are enjoying it is because you're creating something that's, you know, that that other people will enjoy. 
it's not a bad thing that you're enjoying it. I mean, I think, you know, it, it, probably it's a very romantic, you know, Protestant idea that we have to suffer <laughs> yeah. to, to uh, for anything meaningful, we have to suffer yeah. for it. And, and, but I also felt like we've all been doing this long enough that this is a, you know, something about our, our all the suffering or all the trials of the past yeah. have, have, have at least deposited us here and now in a place that just happens to feel less of that. And we, and we see each other's experience and, and that it can yield the, the better part of every person's moods and, and, you know, yeah. it, it doesn't mean uh, th- there were some, there were some hard days and I yeah. think struggle and we, and I know you must know this and I know this, that sometimes those scenes that are really the, the toughest that require extra um, thinking and rethinking yeah. and, yeah. and, and sometimes you lose the, the time on set and you have to cut shots and you have to jump and do this and you're losing the light and all the, sometimes that produces something uh very essential you know or very do you, do you find sometimes there is a scene and you're watching it and it's just not clicking and you can't i feel like there's just these odd scenes where you're like it's just not quite kind of clicking and like you're you know you're doing a lot of leg thing what you mean in the shooting or in the when you're shooting that the, there might be a scene where you're like it's just because often the scenes are beautiful you know because you've thought about them a lot and then the actors just bring something extra and then occasionally I just feel like there's a scene where it's like oh god I'm just not quite getting it I don't know what I'm saying the response is no absolutely I of course and you feel or you just you feel a kind of gray like a kind of gloom of um doom like a sense of um I mean there's just there's too many days to count on certain films and um, where you're just, you're just in a, in a churning mode and you're just desperately trying to get the pieces somehow, you know, on film and you'll think I'll I'll figure this, I'm going to figure this out later. (laughs) You can't possibly, sometimes you, uh, there are, I think, I, I think I, I, I put it on myself in a way when I'm feeling that way. I'm like, I, I do what I can to get something different out of actors if it's if I feel like that's where it's coming from. But ultimately I feel like, okay, we'll figure this out. We'll figure this out. Yeah. I do find editing to be the most remarkable part of the process. Yeah. Like just something again, completely distinct from all the, I mean, it is like writing again, but you're writing with the things you've made already and that are that are fixed in their own way. But the way that editing can change or shift, uh, it's it's a it's a profound process, you know. And of course, some films allow for I think that um, mysterious kind of shaping to, and reshaping to occur more in the editorial language when the film is built to use that you know and the layers of sound and music and all of the all of the suturing that can go on in the process of cutting and i love that kind of richly editorial nicholas rogian kind of you know just like 
you know, rich. It's just like, yeah. it's so. Because the sound's really amazing on the film as well. Like just different things. Like at the beginning, there's, um, it's the, it's that there's a sort of drumming kind of sound in the background, sort of like a, a marching drum. And it, it's just really beautiful the way it, it, do you know where I mean, Todd, right at the front of yeah. the, yeah. It's Memorial Day, it's supposed to be the Memorial yes. Day. Memorial Day. And you hear this marching. So it's interesting because it gives you a lot of texture that there's something going on in the town. And also there's just a rhythm and it's so pleasing the way it takes you, that it helps the cut and everything. It's just, yeah. and also you use a lot of really interesting Mute, mute, you know, diegetic music that you don't really notice, and yeah, very. Uh, I really loved um, sort of watching it the second time with headphones on and just listening to the to the soundscape, and 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 you really enjoy that. Do you enjoy that part of it as well? I I, I do. I love that part of it, uh, and and I've worked with a uh, sound designer Leslie Schatz since Far From Heaven two thousand and two. So for many many years, and he's had different kinds of stylistic adventures to bring his unique yeah. sensitivity to the sound design. Um, but I would, but, but what was interesting about this is that it, it didn't have that. It, it wasn't a film that you could completely reconstruct in the cut. It was a film that, or, or a scene, there weren't scenes that could be, it was very exposed that, but that, what that also meant, I think is that the cut meant something because they weren't buried in a, in an ocean of cuts and layers and music, which I, again, that's a kind of style that I can, that can suit a certain kind of film so well and can be so thrilling cinematically. This was so exposed, but what it did, I watch it now and I, I, uh, when it cuts, it, it means something. The cuts are exposed and it made me think of um i mean i thought of this when i was preparing the movie but the movie the graduate like is a very it's again it's a it has a it's a comedy it deals with an older woman younger man relationship it has a lot of sort of superficial reasons or, or thematic reasons to look at for this film but it but really to me that it's the way that movie is shot and constructed in the frame and the restraint of the of the coverage and the the visual language of the movie how much how much is going on off the frame and how much the frame doesn't ever cut to it and you and it allows the viewer to be completely intuiting what's outside the frame of Benjamin Braddock in coming home from college and dealing with his existential crisis and and again it holds and the the shots hold so that when you get to the end of it shot and it cuts it's a percussive point to the humor the humor wouldn't work in that film if it was conventionally covered with a million cuts back and forth yeah because you wouldn't feel it you wouldn't feel it and and it it lets you in on the sophistication of the commentary about middle class life in america it lets you in on an attitude that the film is 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 including you in your intelligence is part of the experience of watching that movie and understanding the jokes. So it never condescends to you. It's so sophisticated and restrained. So, and Manhattan Woody Allen's movie also just so gorgeously shot by 
Gordon Willis um, is about holds those shots and lets the the blocking of the actors enter and exit the frame. And it, it the film's beauty and humor and intelligence is is in how it's visualized uh, alongside and deepening the themes of the film. And I guess that that's what you're doing. In, that's what you feel in your film that you were saying earlier on is that you it's like the audience are playing a part in it, aren't we? We're sort of, we're sharing, I don't know, sharing the jokes and we're sharing what's going on in a, we're, we're sort of part of it, not just in it, we're yeah. in it, out of it. It kind of forces you to take part that way. I love that about the script and I hope that would be yeah. how the Yeah, no, definitely. And I, and I, I, yeah, it's very hard actually to know how it's done. It, it's interesting, really interesting to hear you talk about it. There's some, uh, I've forgotten to look in the Q&A box, so I'm looking. And the first question, uh, Wendy Wong says, Hi, Todd, the film has some quite unconventional framings, e.g. long shots instead of traditionally what would be re reaction shots. What was the thought process behind this? A little bit, I think, maybe in what you just said was relevant. Yeah. No, I, I, I would just, I think I've sort of uh, maybe answered it. I don't want to, yeah. but I think, uh, yeah, but I, I think there's a, there's an element where you hold on a shot. Look, you need these kinds of actors to make those kinds of shots work. And I happen to Absolutely. be so. <laughs> yeah. And but, this, but, there, uh, but there's an element of suspense where you're waiting for the cut. Yes. Yeah. You don't know you don't know when the mirror scene is going to end, or or you're waiting for the return of the music. Yeah. She did a, an amazing sort of. Well, was it at the end of the letter where she kind of arches back? Yeah, yeah. Was that planned, or did that happen, or no? Natalie gave me eight takes. We had we we that we didn't ha have time to do eight takes of anything in this movie. But that day we were just what well it was the second second to the last day of the shoot, and yeah. we were in. In, and she gave eight takes of that of that monologue that right and gave ones. you different things yeah each one completely uh, complete and distinct and a master class and and this is a question here cool wilkins hi Todd. looking forward to seeing your film i wondered what your approach to directing the actors is e.g do you try and find it in rehearsal so that you can uh, then just make adjustments on set how collaborative is the process i know you didn't have much rehearsal time we didn't have much rehearsal time. We had time to talk in advance with the actors. And so I had time with Charles in, in Savannah. He came earlier. So he and I got to hang out and spend a lot of time talking about Joe and Joe's father and relationship was his history. With Julian and, and of course, Julian, I have a very long working relationship with Natalie. This is the first time I, I worked with her, but I find that they are very similar in the way they prepare. Um, and so a lot of thinking and talking went on in advance and uh, and the whole research process around how much to examine and draw specificity from the Mary Kay Letourneau story, her character as a woman. She's quite different from Gracie in the end, but there were things and it was this was driven by Julianne's uh, need to understand this woman somehow. Mm. Right? Well, I guess because she's. You know, she, yeah, she's she's done done something questionable. It, 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 for her to be able to play it, she really needs to. Uh, it, she can't. She's not thinking that 
she herself has done something wrong. She's thinking, right. yeah. And it, it, it I, I think actors playing parts where they uh, are doing something, you know, wrong, <laughs> it, they need to understand why, don't they? Uh, exactly. It's almost like you write, yeah. you write that fiction. Yeah. You write, you have to write out for your, for yourself, for that character. What is the fiction that she ta- tells herself? What is the story, yeah. Gracie? Yeah. What does she believe? Yeah. Um, and, and that there is a question here. Could Todd talk about working with Julianne Moore? Um, she's been an, a collaborator in Tour de Force. Uh, you know, Julianne, I did, I met when I did my second feature film, Safe, in 95. And she um, was already an entire, everything that I continue to learn about her, about acting on for this medium for film was already intact, was already apparent and fully formed. I felt when I first met her. And and I think it was still one of the most challenging parts that she's played is, is the, is that character and safe. Um, But her, her way of understanding what the camera sees and how to navigate scale of performance interiority, impenetrability, transparency, all of those things. Um, I find, I found astonishing when I first met her and I continued to find astonishing all these years later. Yeah. Yeah. And and constantly surprising. I I imagine what she gives you. Yeah. Um, We have one, one last question. Oh, it's 30. How do you make each film feel so different and fresh creatively? It's hard to believe the same person made far from heaven. I'm not there in dark waters. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it what, you know, I mean, I I think like, uh, I think Fassbender said his favorite directors just make the same movie over and over again. And, um, but I think when people like Hitchcock, uh, you know, who we might think is making the same movie over and over again for, for him, each, each one is its own, just, you know, he zeroes in on what's different from each one to the next and makes that the, the sort of cinematic challenge and thrill for him each time. And we might see the thing. It's like the thing that really defines a director as a through line is almost the thing they don't see themselves, you yeah, know? Definitely. Yeah. And, uh, so I think, yeah, I get excited by the, what I haven't done in the past, even though there are themes that continue from film to film. This podcast was recorded at a Directors UK member event. You can hear plenty more directors in conversation by subscribing on the usual streaming platforms. Follow us on social media and find out more about us at directors.uk.com.